we continue in our series on marriage and family in part 2 we discuss practical guidance on making the choice of your life partner and understanding the role of husband and wife we also answer questions such as is there an appointed one and only and am i called to singleness spoke along with an invite uh to a seminar a workplace seminar that we will be doing on the 13th of September Sunday the 13th uh so we are uh, this whole this whole uh, part of the campaign is targeted targeting professionals and uh, leaders and heads of institutions and so on so that's happening it started off today uh we already got started getting responses through sms uh people asking for the book uh and so that's going on right now uh as we are speaking Uh, the other thing is that will happen over the next two weeks is also promotions that will go on in the campuses, colleges, and so on. Uh, where we'll be inviting young people to a youth concert. The youth concert will be on Saturday, the, Saturday, the 12th of September. Uh, uh, that'll be a different uh, uh, target. We're targeting the young people in in, in Mangalore City. So that's also happening over the next two weeks. Uh, the uh, uh, we have a large uh, auditorium there uh, uh, in Mangalore where the concert will happen, and that will. target the young people uh, in Mangalore city so uh, over the next two weeks it's very important uh, continue praying uh, for the city of Mangalore how many of you know where Mangalore is <laughs> right. uh, so pray for that and and we really want to uh, have a big impact on the city the youth and the professionals and then following uh, the what happens on the weekend the 12th and the 13th uh, we will have follow up work going on in the week that comes after that Uh, and uh, you know reaching out to the people and ministering to them so that's happening uh, as you saw we'll be in barampur end of october uh, but there's one thing happening before that we'll be in pune on the 21st of september pune 21st of september there's a youth concert happening uh, it's again uh, our band everyone will be there we're targeting the youth in the city we're working along with the local church in pune so uh, that's again another missions opportunity if you want to travel with the team to be in pune minister to the young people in the city of pune uh, uh, be with us that's on the 21st of september we'll have the announcement up uh, post probably next week and then october is uh, is barampur uh, orissa as well all right uh, let's turn in our bibles to ephesians chapter 6 i will just read a verse of scripture then make our uh, declaration this morning Ephesians chapter 6 uh the apostle paul is writing about the armor that we all have a spiritual armor uh which we use uh in our conflict uh, against the forces of darkness and i just want to bring our attention to verse 17 we are all familiar with this but just to remind us uh he's paul writes in Ephesians 6:17 take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god take the sword of the spirit which is the word of god so we all all of us have an offensive weapon which is god's words but we've got to take it we've got to use the sword uh, against the enemy uh, it's a weapon of offense now how do you use the sword which is the word of god the word of god is the sword how do you use it by us speaking or declaring the word of god so when you intentionally purposefully uh, uh declare the word of god over a circumstance over a situation over your body over your mind or whatever you declare the word of god what you're doing is you're using the sword of god of the spirit of god 
against the enemy. Amen? Just by us declaring the word of God, by saying what God has put in his word, we are using the sword of the spirit against the enemy. So imagine, you know, the enemy is coming against you. This is the spiritual realm. And you're speaking the word. When you speak the word, you are actually using the sword against the enemy. You're going on the offensive. You're saying, I'm not going to sit here and take this. I'm coming against you. I'm going against the enemy. Just by speaking the word. Now, we all like to talk. It's pretty easy. But talk the word. That's all. Talk the word. Say what the word says in your circumstance, in your situation. You are engaging in spiritual battle against the enemy. And you know, uh, 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 many times, this might sound strange, but think about this. God cannot do anything in your situation unless you do something about it. God cannot do anything in your situation unless you do something about it. You say, what do you mean? Because God has created all of us as free moral agents, free moral beings. He's given us a will. He works in cooperation with our will. So if you sit down, let the devil run all over you, God's not going to jump in and say, no devil, don't do it. He's my beloved one. No. You're letting him do it. But if you stand up and resist the devil, then God backs up what you do. That's why the scripture says, submit to God, resist the devil. Who's supposed to resist the devil? Me, you. Now when you and I stand up and resist, then God backs that up. Are you with me so far? That's why we need to stand up And speak the word against the enemy and say, no devil, you will not interfere in my life, in this area of my life. I speak the word. And now when you do that, then God backs up. Then God comes in on the scene. He will always back up his word, but you and I must speak it. So let's stand to our feet this morning. Uh, As we make our declaration, we're going to say what God has said about us over our circumstances, over our life. So hold hold your Bible high up in the air, please, and say this with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God. A servant of Christ and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word and I live by his word. Christ is my master and to him I am in absolute surrender in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated please. Uh, We're doing this series on marriage and family. Uh, We started this off last Sunday. Gene was there with us uh, as he spoke to us. Uh, This is actually a a book that we are putting together. It should be out in print uh, uh, in September. We were hoping that it will be out in print before we start the series, but we are behind schedule on that. But uh, we'll get it out to you uh, in September. Uh, The book has about 18 to 20 chapters, so we're going to cover those chapters uh, Sunday by Sunday as we talk about marriage and family. 
Uh, the first two chapters were covered last Sunday. We talked about understanding marriage, uh, and we also talked about uh, preparing for marriage. Now, I just want to make a few comments here before we get started in, in, in this morning's message. Uh, the first thing is that, uh, you know, all, all of us who come and minister here on marriage and family doesn't mean we're all experts, all right? We are not. We're all learning. We're all learning and making our own journey as we begin to understand what God has put in his word concerning marriage and uh, family. And, and so we don't come and speak here as, you know, we are all these experts who always score 100% uh, when it comes to the subject. But rather we speak more as, as people are making this journey. We're still learning uh, and, and we are trusting God as we do this. Uh, the second thing is I understand that, you know, we have a diverse group of people sitting here. Uh, we have those who are single uh, those who are you know, going to get married soon, uh, those who have just been married, uh, those who have been married for a long time, uh, and those who are like long, long time. You know? uh, we've got all kinds of people sitting here. But I also understand that uh, there might be people with us, and especially over the last 20, 15 years as I've been pastoring the church, I know, and I've journeyed with some of you. Uh, you've gone through a divorce. Uh, some of you have remarried, and, and, and you're settled now. God's doing wonderful life in your life. Some of you have gone through a very painful experience through divorce, and I've personally journeyed with some of you on that, and I know how painful it is uh, uh, as you go through that whole process. Uh, some of you may have been widowed. You've lost, a lo- you lost your spouse, uh, and there could be others in various situations, maybe going through separation, and I, and I respect uh, you. I respect, you know, the various situations that you're going through, and so sometimes when you hear about marriage and family, it can be painful uh, for some of us because of what uh, we have gone through in life. So uh, with all respect to what each one is going through, we want to present the truth of the Word of God and, uh, and help the coming generations, the young people who come after us. You know, uh, if these things uh, are being taught to them, I think they are really very privileged to learn this at an early stage in life so that they can be ready and have a beautiful marriage the way God designed it to be. So as we bring this series of teaching till the end of October, we're doing it with respect, knowing that people are in various stages of life. We've journeyed with some of you through real difficult times, and we do it with respect, not in any way to you know, feel, make anybody feel condemned. Are you all with me so far? Yeah? So we understand these things, but we have to speak the truth. We have to present the word of God as it should be. Today we're going to do two chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4. Chapter 3 is really geared towards those who are still single. And we want to talk about making the choice. How do you make your choice about your life partner? Uh, What are some guidelines and uh, uh, and so really what we're going to do in this chapter uh, is, is talk about some guidelines from Scripture on how you can make the choice. Now, for those of you who are married, this message is a little too late. <laughs> this is not the time for you to say, okay, let's make the choice. You already made your choice, okay? So you can't change that, all right? What you can do is think about how you can retroactively or retrospectively Act on these things. But you can't turn the clock back. right? For those of you who are still single, this will be of help. Uh, as you look at these guidelines, and this is how I, I need to go about choosing my life partner. And 
uh, also we understand that uh, not every person uh, will be able to apply all these guidelines because of uh, their situation. Some may come from non-Christian homes and, and you may not have the freedom, you may not have the liberty uh, to put, uh, apply all of these things. So uh, we present this to you, do what you can, and if there are constraints in your situation where you're not able to apply some of these things, don't worry, just trust the Lord, keep trusting God. Uh, he will still work uh, in your situation and, and, and make things possible for you. All right, and then we will cover chapter 4, which will then, we will transition in more into the marriage aspect of things. Uh, where we will talk about uh, the role of the husband and wife. All right. So, making the choice. How do I go about finding my life partner? Here are some guidelines. First of all, look at four realms of compatibility. You know, the scriptures teach us here, and I'm, again, we're going to go through this very quickly. You'll get the book and you can study it, and there are exercises in the book that you can also do. Uh, the scriptures talk about this. In Genesis 2.24, it says that a man leaves his father and mother and he's joined to his wife and the two become one. Uh, in Amos 3.3, it says, you know, do two people walk in hand in hand uh, if they aren't going to the same place. Or Mark 3.25, a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. The important, the important thing here is there's got to be unity. There's got to be compatibility. And when you're talking about marriage, you're talking about two individuals who are coming together. And so there has to be compatibility in at least four realms. Spirit, soul, body, and a life's calling. So let me mention, we'll just talk to them very quickly about these four areas. Spiritual compatibility. Do you, uh, I, I mean, it comes to marriage, I would not just say, you know, just make sure he or she is a believer. I would go beyond that and say, make sure that they have the same kind of commitment, the same kind of passion that you have for God. Because even though if two people are believers, if one is really committed to God, you know, they like to wake up four o'clock in the morning, spend two hours in prayer. They like to be in church every time the doors open, every meeting they want to serve in church. And the other person is like happy, you know, I attend church one Sunday, it's two hours, that's enough, of, you know. Uh, uh, both are believers, both love the Lord, both are going to go to heaven, all that is fine. But there is a difference in that intensity of their uh, spiritual desire and that itself could cause conflict. One of the young men in our church in the early days, his marriage lasted three months. Both were Christians, both were believers. But he liked to pray. So he'd come home and he spent two hours in prayer. His wife didn't understand that. What's wrong with this guy? Three months later, she left him. Both were believers. But they were spiritually incompatible. It just didn't work. There has to be emotional and intellectual compatibility. That also should be able to relate to the person intellectually, emotionally. Be able to talk about same things at the same wavelength. You know, or be able to uh, relate to one another because that's important. You're not going to be uh, sitting and looking at each other's, you know, your, your wife's beauty and your husband's handsomeness all the time. You're going to, you need to talk. You need to interact. You need to uh, have a conversation. You need to be talk about things. And so you need to look at emotional intellectual compatibility of course physical compatibility is important you need to like the other person uh you know uh be excited about his or her looks and all of that uh, that's left to you like they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder that's your choice you know go with it <laughs> uh, so but that's important 
Uh, you need to have physical compatibility. You need to like that person physically. And also compatibility, compatibility in life's calling, which means that even though both of you are believers, you both love the Lord, may both be in the church, and all that is fine, but there's got to be a, 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 a togetherness in what you feel you want to do with your life. For example, if the husband uh, wants to live in New York City, and he wants to, you know, get in on Wall Street and be on the stock exchange and do all of that, and he's all geared up for that and, and, and all of that, but the wife wants to work in some small tribal area, some remote part in India or Africa or wherever, uh, there is a little mismatch in life's calling. They both may be believers. They both love the Lord. But somebody has to give up on their life's calling. Are you with me? And if the wife gives up her calling and ends up in New York, she may say, this is a worse jungle <laughs> than that little village. <laughs> she may never feel satisfied. Or if the husband gives it up and goes to that village, you don't know what will happen. You know, he might be always on the internet trying to know what's going on on Wall Street. <laughs> you never know. So, uh, this, so the point is there's got to be compatibility even in your life's calling. See that there is a mutual understanding, a sense of togetherness that you can make this journey together. The second thing you look out for as you make your life a uh, choice of your life partner uh, is to watch out for warning signs. That means uh, as you're getting to know the person, are there warning signs? Uh, Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, let all your ways be established. That means don't go into this blindly. Yeah, emotions may be high and uh, the pressure from family may be, uh, you know, intense and all of that. But also, you've got to look out for warning signs. Uh, what kind of, what are, what are some warning signs? And I've just listed some here. Uh, what about signs of immaturity? Is the person mature? Is he or she ready for the responsibility of marriage and family? You know, marriage is, is not just a, a nice uh, thing that you get into. It's, it's serious business. Because once you get married, you've got to take care of a home. You've got to take care of a family. A lot of responsibilities. Uh, is, uh, are there signs of lack of preparation? This person really is not ready. We talked about seven areas of preparation last Sunday. Uh, you can look at, consider those. Uh, are there signs of character weaknesses? I mean, uh, is, the, is this person in, a, in addiction? Are there emotional weaknesses? Uh, you know, if this person is an alcoholic, I mean, you, you may love this guy, but if, if, he's, if, he's, if he's drunk most of the time, I mean, how, how are you going to work out your marriage? How are you going to live your marriage? So you've got to watch out for these warning signs or other addictive behavior that might be detrimental to your marriage. Uh, signs of parental control. Uh, if the parents are too controlling on the son, and I've sat with many couples where the problem with their marriage is not either of them, it's their parents. If we can get the parents out of the marriage, this marriage will succeed. And I've sat with so many couples like that. Parental control. Or, on the flip side, it may be parental dependence, where... Uh, the son has not yet cut off the umbilical cords. I mean, it happened in the hospital. Or it was supposed to have happened. <laughs> but here he is, he's 25 and his mom is still holding on. His dad is still holding on. And that is the cause for so much of the problem in the marriage. 
and, 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 and these are true situations. Adults. And so if you see signs of either parental interference or parental dependence, it's a warning sign that the boy or the girl may be wonderful, but because of this, you've got to watch out. You've got to pause and say, look, this is not going to help the marriage. Uh, and that's why it's good to get insight from uh, uh, some mature people. Uh, you know, don't ask your peers because they'll always say what you want to hear. Uh, ask your pastor. Ask some spiritual leader and say, what do you think about so-and-so? Uh, or do you see anything wrong? You know, and because they will be able to tell you the truth without being afraid, even if they're going to hurt you. Because they care enough about you. Right? So ask for them. Ask for their input. Maybe it's parents or uh, maybe it's spiritual leaders. The third thing about marriage as you go about choosing your life partner is try to answer these two questions. What do you expect? What can you give? What do you expect? What can you give? You know, the Bible uh, teaches us as people, as believers, to be fully persuaded in our own minds. For instance, in Romans 14 verse 5, the end of that verse says, uh, we each should firmly make up our own minds. Or James 1.8 says, if you're double-minded, you're going to be unstable. Now, these are generalities, meaning in situations where God says you decide, he wants you to make up your minds. So, in case of marriage, God is saying you decide. You choose. You make the choice, right? So, you need to be fully persuaded in your mind on what kind of person you want for your life, right? So, you don't say, God, give me whatever you want. God says, I'm not getting married. You are, all right? So you make up your mind, right? So don't, you know, just don't pray those strange prayers which are not going to get answered. You make up your mind. You be fully persuaded in your mind. You don't be unstable about the kind of person or unsettled about the kind of person you want for your life. So I would suggest answering these four questions. Question one, what kind of spouse would you really like? What traits or qualities are really important and what could be nice to have but not critical. For instance, what is your picture of the husband or the wife that you would desire for your life? You write it down. Think about it. Write it down. And what qualities are important that, you know, this person must really have these qualities. They're very important to me. And what are nice to have? You know, oh yeah, he should be six feet, nine inches or whatever. You know, That's nice to have. But if he's six feet one, it's okay. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, those, those uh, things that really don't matter, you know, fine. But what's really important? Answer that question, right? And then the next question is, what are, expectation, what are your expectations of marriage? What kind of a home or a family would you like to see built? Meaning, what's your picture of, of, of the marriage, the family that you want? Uh, I, I, I keep this practical, keep this simple. But you need to have something very clear in your mind. And then marriage is not one-sided. It's not about what you can get, but it's also about what you can bring into your marriage, what you can give. So then you answer the other two questions, which is, what traits and qualities can you bring into this marriage? You know, what are you going to bring uh, into your marriage, which you're, which you're going to bless your spouse with? And the fourth, one question, fourth question would be, so how can you help building your marriage, building your home and family, as you would like to see it. What can you do to make that happen? Answer these questions. I remember in March of 1993, that year, uh, I just felt, okay, this is the year I'm going to get married. Right? 
So in March 1993, I sat down and I wrote in my book. I said, here's what I want in my life. Right? And I wrote down things. I still have the book with me. <laughs> I don't know. This is what I want in my life. You know, of course, she's got to be a believer. She's got to be passionate about God. I, I like her to be a worship leader because I can't sing for nuts, you know. <laughs> so at least if she sings, she can make up for me. <laughs> you know? So uh, that was kind of important. She must be willing to travel because I felt I'm going to travel a lot for the uh, ministry. She's got to be willing to live in India. At that time, I was living in the U.S., so I didn't want to get married to an American. I didn't want, you know, then if I get stuck there, God help, you know. <laughs> so... She's got to be willing to live in India. That was important. Important for me. She's got to be willing to live here in Bangalore because I was going to come back to Bangalore. I knew I was going to do this. Um, and so, so some of these guys, and these were uh, non-negotiables. I mean, these are things I really wanted in my wife. Then I turned the page and then I wrote down, what can I give to my wife? In other words, it's not, about what, <clears throat> it's not only what, about what I'm going to get, but it's also about what I can bring into my wife. So I read, wrote those things down, right? The other thing I did, so the other thing I did was uh, also become very clear in my mind about the future. And, and, and I'm not saying you should do this, but back in 1993, I had a clear, under, clear picture in my mind of the next 10 years of my life, what I'm going to do in the next 10 years. Things like I'm going to go back to India. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to uh, start a church. These were things I wrote down. I mean, these were things were very clear in my mind. Uh, and so uh, whoever I was going to meet, I was prepared to share this with her and say, you know, this is what I can see for the next 10 years of my life. Are you ready for this journey? Right? So I was clear about those kinds of things. And, and um, I'll tell you the rest of the story later. Okay. <laughs> All right, so next thing you got to look out uh, is, uh, 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 you know, uh, one thing that I want to address here uh, as you go about looking for your life partner is that understand that there is no appointed one and only person for your life. See, many of us, and I, I won't have time to read this whole story, this is in Genesis 24. <clears throat> we read the story of, in Genesis 24 about Abraham telling his servant to go find a bride for his son Isaac. And so the whole Genesis 24 describes the whole story about how Abraham's servant goes off uh, to, this, to their hometown uh, to look for a bride uh, and Rebecca, and he finds Rebecca and he brings her home and she marries Isaac. And uh, Many people read the story and then they, uh, they assume that based on the story that there is only one person, one appointed person for your life. And I want you to help you understand that that is not true. But what do we see in the story? And I'm just going to highlight these things. In this story, you'll find that, first of all, Rebecca could have said no. The moment Abraham spoke to his servant and said, can you go into my hometown and find a bride for my son Isaac? Abraham's servant said, sure, I'm willing to do that. But if the girl whom I ask says no, what will happen? Then Abraham says, then I absolve you of this responsibility. It's fine. Meaning there is the possibility that the girl you ask will say no. Secondly, what we see in the story is 
that as Abraham go, Abraham's servant goes out on this journey, he's depending on God's guidance. Because when he goes to that particular hometown, there are many young ladies who could be suitable for Isaac. So he needs God's guidance to pick one. And he, between him and God, he set it up saying, God, this is how I believe I'm going to receive your guidance. When I go and ask this lady at the well, give me some water to drink, that she'll give water not only to me, but also to my camels. That's a sign. That's a way I, I see your guidance. Okay? So he had his way of determining God's guidance, where God was going to guide him to the best person for Isaac. Uh, and, and, and as believers in the New Testament, we have the leading of the God's Holy Spirit, and we also have his word. We also have our renewed mind, as we will talk about later, that God wants us to use to, to pick the best person. Uh, you know, there will, be, there will be many young ladies or young men who may be compatible to you, but you've got to pick one out of all of them. And what you also see in the story is this. As uh, Abraham's servant uh, meets Rebecca, and uh, he understands that this is the person uh, who meets the guidance that, that he has set be- between God. Uh, he goes to uh, Rebecca's home, but he proposes this to them, and he lets the family say yes or no. He doesn't come there and say, you know, all these signs are worked out, so you have no choice but to say yes. He doesn't talk like that. He says, God has led me here till this point, but you decide. You say yes or no. He does not spiritually manipulate the family. He does not use spiritual authority or spiritual guidance as a way to get a yes from them. He places it in front of them and he says, you decide. And fourthly, we also see that ultimately Rebecca had to say yes. Because the next morning when he wakes up, he says, you know, the, the family of course responded, yes, we're so happy. Uh, we're ready to give our daughter Rebecca in marriage to uh, Abraham's son Isaac. They're all fine with it. Uh, the next morning, he, Abraham's son gets up and he says, okay, I'm ready to go. Can Rebecca come with me? And they say, no, no, no. You know, we want Rebecca to stay here for another 10 days. Then he says, fine, yeah, I need to go back. Uh, then they say, let Rebecca decide. Let Rebecca decide. Meaning, ultimately, it's her decision if she's ready to come with you. What if she said no? Isaac would not have had a bride from there. The next point I want to make is this, that the story of Isaac and Rebecca is only one of the many other ways in which God has led people. So we cannot form a conclusive theology based on just one person's story. Are you with me so far? And God has led so many other people in many different ways. So the message is, be open to whatever way God wants to lead you. Don't think God has only one appointed person. No, God is going to lead you to choose the best person. That's what you need to depend on in your life. And the person you choose becomes your one and only for the rest of your life. Amen? The next thing I want to, uh, uh, let me just, uh, you know, uh, share this uh, real scenario here. When I was in college, I think uh, Amy won't mind me telling this story. Uh, when I was in college, engineering college, I was uh, doing my electronics. This was in Manipal. I was studying my bachelor's. 
I was also serving God and uh, I was ministering for my first year. In my third year, I started a student fellowship there. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, there were students on the medical college, engineering college, all colleges coming together. And uh, it so happened one day, uh, one girl from the medical college, she sent a cake to my room. You know, the boys' hostel. <laughs> Somebody came and delivered a cake. And I thought, okay, this is a nice sister. <laughs> <laughs> in the fellowship, sending me a cake. You know, maybe she's honoring the man of God. You know? <laughs> so I, I enjoyed the cake. I shared it with all my friends. A few days later, another cake came. I thought uh, maybe they're, you know, having some baking going on in the girls' hostel. <laughs> uh, that's why they have a surplus of cakes. So another cake came. Fine. I just took it. You know, and us guys, we're all hungry guys. You know, so <laughs> we just eat <laughs> A few days later, a cake came, but with a bouquet of flowers. I said, this is a little strange. You know, uh, I understand the cake part, but this flowers part, I don't understand. And uh, then I said, okay, this is getting out of hand. Maybe there is something more to this. So then I said, the delivery boy, I said, you take it back. So I literally, I sent the bouquet, I sent the cake back because I didn't want to get involved. I was not ready for marriage, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to get involved in all these things. So I sent it back. Then again, a few days later, cake and bouquet. I said, okay, something is up. I'm not going to take it. I sent it back, you know. And then um, this girl was actually attending the fellowship that I was leading. She was, she was there. She was from the medical college. And uh, then after the meeting, she stopped me. She said, you know, God has spoken to me. You are the one I'm supposed to marry. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I said, you know, you know uh, it's fine if God has spoken to you. <laughs> but he has not. <laughs> uh, he hasn't spoken to me, you know. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, if you don't mind, uh, I'll stay out of this, you <laughs> know. But she didn't give up in the next meeting. So I was afraid to go to church. <laughs> because, now, I was leading the service, but I was always afraid of the end because at the end of the service, I know what's going to happen. I know this girl is going to come and stop me. And each time she would open the Bible, she had all scriptures marked up. Every verse seemed to have my name in it. <laughs> and uh, she was having visions, she was having dreams, angels. All saying, I am the one, you know. It got really out of hand. Uh, and, I'd, and then finally I said, you know, I can't handle this. So I had to do something. I said, I don't want you to come to church. Finished. You're troubling me all the time. <laughs> so I seriously, I told her, you cannot, I forbid you from coming to this fellowship. Because I started the fellowship, I'm leading the fellowship. I have a right to say that. You can go somewhere else. So I said, you will not come back. Stop. So she stopped coming, but now she started sending letters. <laughs> this really went on for a long time. And finally, her parents came down. Because now she failed in all her subjects. Uh, and all those was going happening. She lost a year, whatever. Her parents came down and they called me. Come here. What are you doing to my daughter? I said, see, this is what's happened. At the third instance, I realized what was happening and I 
said no. But she didn't stop. She went on. Not my fault. I'm going. <laughs> but anyway, the point is this. The point is this. That just because somebody says they have a prophetic word or God spoke to them or uh, you know they have this dream or that and this and that, that you are the right person doesn't mean you have to say yes. God has to speak to you also. Are you with me? So this whole idea that you know there is one appointed person and, and uh, you know if I don't marry him or I don't marry her, my life will be miserable. That's not true. Ultimately, you make the choice of the best person that you can find for your life. Marriage is not just, I will say this again later, marriage is not just about finding the right person. It's about living your marriage out. That's more important than the person you find. If you agree, say amen. If you don't, God bless you. (laughs) All right. So the next thing about uh, finding your life partner is you do the seeking. Uh, You know the scripture in Matthew 7, you know, Jesus asked, you will find, seek, you will not, seek, you will... Ask, you will receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened. Uh, you know the scripture. Uh, uh, Proverbs uh, 18.22 says, um, find a good wife and you find a good life. Uh, even more of the favor of God. Uh, Proverbs 19.14 says, a man can inherit a house and money from his parents, but only the Lord can give him a sensible wife. Meaning, you got to look but you trust God to bring the provision in your life. You got to ask, you got to seek, you got to knock. So I would encourage you uh, that uh, you know if you are uh, in that that stage of life where you are uh, you know you're getting ready for marriage, you do the looking, you do the seeking, you uh, do the asking, seeking, knocking. Uh, you know, look around in church. There are many young eligible bachelors here, uh, uh, in all other locations as well. Uh, look, there's nothing wrong. Uh, ask, seek, knock. Uh, but don't knock too many times. <laughs> if you knock and the door doesn't open, move on. You know, <laughs> knock on another door. <laughs> Please don't keep on knocking. Right. Uh, uh, so just do it correctly. That's all. Uh, and uh, but do it. You know, or connect with people in other churches. You know, there are many other churches in our city uh, that have a lot of young people. Connect with them. Uh, you can use other. Other resources like matrimonial sites and uh, special events where young people come together. So do your part uh, and, 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 and seek. Do the seeking. And as you do the seeking, discern God's guidance. So the next part is you're discerning God's guidance. That means uh, you are engaging with God to see if the person is best for you. Uh, uh, like the scripture says, Ephesians 5.17 understand what the will of the Lord is. That means you have a responsibility of recognizing God's will, of what God is guiding and the person God is pointing out to you. And the Holy Spirit helps us recognize this. And I'm not going into all the scriptures. But when you're discerning God's guidance, here's how you would do it. Uh, Take these following things into consideration. You know, uh, you would ask yourself the following questions. Does this person have the traits and qualities that are important to me? You, know, you, you, you already uh, you know, have a, an understanding, a framework for yourself. What qualities are important to you? So does this person have those qualities? Uh, is there an alignment and compatibility in all four realms? We've talk, talked about that, the compatibility in all four realms. Uh, is the person ready 
or uh, ready for marriage or can, can they become ready? Can it be addressed? Uh, are there any warning signs or can these warning signs be addressed? You know, maybe there are little issues which you can, you know, help, get some help and sort it out. Uh, is the Holy Spirit leading me? Is there a witness in my spirit? Is the Spirit of God giving me peace about this person uh, that I'm thinking about? Are there other external factors? Maybe God can guide you through circumstances, situations. Are there those factors uh, that are guiding you towards this? Is it mutual? Meaning, not only that you like this person, but the person also likes you. Is it mutual? Is it, are you both uh, able to say yes to this? Uh, do you have the support and approval of parents? Uh, that's important. Now, I understand that in some situations, uh, uh, you know, parents may not understand when you say, I want to marry a believer or I want to marry uh, somebody who loves the Lord and so on. They may not understand it. But other than that, are they supportive uh, in a normal case? Uh, is there support and approval from spiritual elders, your pastors and others who are overseeing your life? So that's how you discern God's guidance. Ask these questions. And, and, and if there's a yes to uh, almost all of them, uh, then I would say I would encourage you to go ahead. Now, finding a life partner is not always easy. It's not as easy as going to the grocery shop and buying some vegetables. Uh, sometimes you have to wait. Uh, it may take a little longer um, for some people. So while you're in waiting, I just want to encourage you. Uh, let your hope keep you joyful. You know, don't go around grumpy saying, oh man, I haven't found my wife. Man, it's miserable. <laughs> you know, don't. Let your hope keep you joyful. The Bible says in Romans 15 uh, and uh, uh, Romans 12, 12. Let your hope keep, be joyful. That you know that God will provide. You know that God will guide you to the right person at the right time. So uh, be joyful. And have faith in your heart. Uh, hope inspires faith. You have something that you're looking forward to. So faith, keep it alive in your heart. And as you're doing the waiting, go about doing what you need to do. Uh, don't just sit down and say, okay, I'm waiting for my husband or waiting for my wife. And then I will start. That's a wrong idea. No, start now. Do what you're supposed to do now. Uh, go about whatever you need to do in life. Uh, and, and God will bring the right person in. Don't sit down and wait uh, to begin your life until you find your husband or wife. There's two other things I want to quickly mention here. This marriage is more than the wedding. You know, once you find your person, the person you like, understand that, you know, it's not about the wedding day. The wedding day, the event is just a small thing. It'll be over, in, in our case, it'll be over in 45 minutes. Yeah. You want to keep it short, we'll do it in 30, 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so the wedding itself is, is, is not the overall thing. It's just an event where you uh, make the covenant and you come into the place of being married. But really, marriage is more than the wedding. It's the life that you live after that. So spend more time preparing for the marriage than for the wedding. Right? Sometimes, you know, young people, they're getting married. They, the whole, you know, next six months, only thing they're thinking about is the wedding. They forget to prepare for the marriage. A marriage is more than finding the right person. You've heard me say that before. Because uh, it's not enough to find the right person. Don't assume that just because you found the person you really like, everything is going to be easy. No. You've got to learn to live together. And, and that, those are the skills we're going to learn over the next several Sundays as we talk about marriage. Uh, are the skills that you need to really build a marriage. And, and it's not easy. You don't, you're not born with it. You've got to learn it. Uh, and one last thing about the engagement period. So, in some cases, people have a formal engagement. Uh, in some cases, they don't. They just agree that they're going to get married and they, you know, they give themselves some time uh, before the wedding. Uh, during that engagement period, very important, no sex before marriage. Just say no. Don't get sexually involved. Just because both of you have decided that you're going to get married, 
doesn't give you the permission to engage sexually. Uh, there are scriptures, very, the scriptures very clear on that. So uh, there are strong boundaries that you maintain in your physical relationship, even though you've decided that you're going to get married. Uh, young people at church, uh, when you are in that courtship period, your engagement period, uh, maintain your high standards, especially for those of you who are serving in church, because other young people are looking at you, how you're conducting yourself during that engagement period. So maintain high standards uh, for yourselves during that time. Remember that until you're married, you are? Until you're married, you are? Until you're married, you are? Not married, right? Right? So in other words, just because you've decided to get married, don't play married, right? You're still single. Behave like that. And, uh, uh, you know, keep, keep that premarital relationship uh, clean. Uh, and during that time, if you find warning signs, I would encourage you to break it off. If you find warning signs, uh, during that engagement, that courtship period, if the other person becomes controlling of your life, uh, demands everything now, come and do his laundry, wash his clothes, polish his shoes. Engagement period, break it off quickly. <laughs> It'll be miserable once you get married, right? So if there are warning signs during that courtship period, by all means, please break it off because uh, it's better to go through the breakup of a courtship or an engagement than to spend the rest of your married life in misery. Uh, if the other person becomes emotionally dependent on you, or if the other person is uh, failing in carrying the responsibilities, like ha- keeping a job or keeping commitments, these are all warning signs. Or if you see that now there's a big difference in your spiritual life, the spiritual compatibility, uh, and your life is actually going in different directions, better to break it off uh, during your engagement period. Are you with me so far? Taking good notes? <laughs> You'll get the book, so don't worry about it. One last thing here uh, about, you know, uh, choosing, uh, making the choice is uh, I want to answer this question, am I called to be single? You know, by default, all of us are, it's safe for all of us to assume that God wants us to get married. Why? Because that's the Genesis commission. That's what God told in the garden, uh, in the garden of Eden, at the very beginning in, in Genesis, he spoke to man, he said, I bless you, be fruitful and multiply. So that's the commission given to every person. So by default, yes, uh, God wants you to get married. It's part of the commission he gave Adam and Eve. But we understand that God may call some people to a life of singleness. Uh, This is addressed for us in Matthew, the 19th chapter, and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm not going to read through all those verses, but I want to summarize key points from these two passages. First of all, Singleness could be a choice you make for kingdom purposes. So in Matthew 19, Jesus does mention this. He says, you know, people are single for various reasons. And one of the reasons he mentions is that people choose to be single for kingdom purposes. Secondly, singleness could be, uh, singleness is a gift. You're empowered for a life of celibacy. Paul brings this out in 1 Corinthians 7, meaning a God empowers you, gives you the grace so that even though you're single, you're still complete. You're still satisfied. You don't find anything lacking. You're fine. You know? uh, and so this is a gift. There's an empowering that God gives to certain people that they are fine with singleness. And thirdly, in that same passage in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul points out that singleness is a choice you make 
to focus on spiritual pursuits. So if a person wants to pursue God and give his life for the service of God, uh, then he makes the choice in order to pursue those things. So that's the third thing Paul brings out in 1 Corinthians 7. So how can you tell if you're called to a life of singleness? Uh, well, you'll ask yourself these questions. You know, do you feel that you're empowered uh, and, and, and God's given you the strength to remain single for the rest of your life? You feel that? You're complete by yourself and don't need anybody else? That's fine. Or secondly, do you feel that you know, God's got a calling for kingdom purpose and when you begin to engage in that, you won't have time really to take care of a wife and a child? Okay, then you choose to be single. Or do you feel that you want to give yourself just to prayer and seeking God and, 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 and you want to give your whole life to that and you feel empowered to do it? Okay, then maybe singleness is for you. But in all other cases, you're safe to assume that you can get married. Are you all with me so far? Amen? So now, let's get to the married people. Let's talk about understanding roles. The role of husband and wife. And I'm going to go through this quickly, so don't worry. Uh, it won't be too long. Uh, so, what, are the, what is the role of a husband and the role of a wife in marriage? Uh, what, 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 are, what did God say a husband should do, a wife should do, or once they are married? And uh, we're going to talk a few things about this, and then uh, there are a lot, of more, a lot more things we'll cover in the weeks to come. First of all, we must begin by saying that the scriptures teach us that the husband and the wife are equals. They are joint heirs, and they are interdependent. All the wives say amen. See, it's a good place to say amen. <laughs> husband and wife, you are equals. You are joint heirs and you are interdependent. The Bible brings it out in First Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 7, where it tells us, you know, uh, you are equals. Treat each other, treat your wives as equals. Telling specifically the husband, treat your wife as an equal. And also in First Corinthians 11, verses 11 and 12, the scriptures say, In our life in the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor man independent of woman. For as the woman was made from man, in the same way, man is born of woman. And God brings everything together. In other words, we are not, or let me put it this way, we are interdependent. God sees us as equals. We have equal access to the promises of God, to the grace of God, to the, to the gifts of God. Uh, and uh, we are interdependent. That's, he's made us that way. So what does this mean to the marriage? It means that husbands, uh, you know, we must treat our wife as equals. Treat her as an equal. Bring her into your decisions, the decisions you make. Bring it in, bring her in. And for many of us, I have to admit, for many of us, we come from society or cultures where we are probably told, maybe not in direct ways, but maybe in indirect ways, the wife or the woman is less than the man. So it's kind of part of our culture. We treat them, you know, so, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not you know, saying anything against this, but think about it. In so many cultures, around our country, even though our culture, we culturally diverse across the country, some places, you know, first only the man sits, he eats, the wife is serving him. After the master leaves, then she sits down and eats. Why can't we all sit and eat together? So somehow, 
as part of our culture, we sometimes very subtly bring the message across that the husband is superior than the wife. And like this, many things we do uh, where we bring that message. And so most of us men find it very difficult to treat our wives as equals. It's a, it's a learning process or an unlearning process for us to say, you know, I need to treat her as an equal. God's given her uh, grace in certain areas. We need to work together. The second thing we see, uh, uh, the role of husband and wife, is a divine parallel between Christ and his church. The standard for relationship between a husband and wife is the way Christ relates to his church. And this is a very, very high standard. This brought out for us in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're just going to read that through. Uh, and I just want to highlight certain things here. Uh, but these are very important for us as husbands and wives. Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Verse 21. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Be submissive to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises leadership, wives also should submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. That is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats the church since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery. I do not pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Right? This sets the bar really high. Really high. But here's the thing. If God has called us to it, he will empower us to walk in it. And I believe he'll empower you and me, husbands, wives, to actually walk in this, to be able to relate to one another the way this does. So let's kind of, let's summarize this passage. What are the roles of the husband? There are six things here. I'll just summarize it very quickly. First, it says, love as Christ loves. Love in that manner. Love unconditionally. A love sacrificially, a love to build up and enrich your wife. Second, nourish your wife, which means to nurture her, to encourage her, to support her, you know, let her grow up, let her grow into the things God has for her life. Cherish your wife, that means to hold her as your valued gift, something special, a, a treasure in your heart. Cherish her, be happy, celebrate her. It's like, you know, as little kids, when we had toys that we really liked, oh, now don't think I'm passing this my wife is a toy. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, what I'm trying to say is uh, the way you would cherish something that you really like, you hold it special. It says cherish your wife. Number four, 
lead as a head of the marriage. Meaning, uh, you're a leader. It, God has placed you as a leader. You're there, not because you're superior, not because you're better, but you have a responsibility for your wife and your family. Uh, you, you're called to be a loving leader. Uh, you, you, uh, you, you're, you're, you're taking that position. But do it with humility. Do it with understanding that, that in certain areas, a wife can be better than you. So although you're a leader, recognize that maybe, you know, your wife is better than you in managing money or your wife is better than you in handling certain things. Recognize that. Just because you're a leader doesn't mean you're right in everything. Know your wife. Number five, it says know your wife, what pleases her, what displeases her. Of course, it's going to take time, but that's part of what we're supposed to do. And honor your wife, which is to respect and celebrate her. So, you know, six things that this passage puts out for us as husbands. Husbands, you listening? Six things. Love, nourish, cherish, lead, know, honor. Now the same passage brings about four things for the wife. She says, love your husband. That means the word there is to be a good friend. Be a good friend to your husband. Uh, Number two is submit to your husband, meaning recognize that God has placed him as, as your leader and that you're going to support him in his decisions, be submissive, submissive to him, respect him, that is honor him, appreciate him, uh, understand the weight of his responsibilities and uh, respect that. And number four, help your husband, uh, encourage and support him in what he does. So here are four words. Wives, you're looking? Love, submit, respect, help. Four things. Wife does to her husband. It's what you do as a wife toward your husband. Uh, and uh, I would encourage us to study First Corinthians 13. That, that really brings about this expression of God's kind of love. It's in the book. Uh, you can work on that exercise later. But let's think about a real life situation that has to do with this whole issue of submission. You know, uh, this is an area where People struggle, husbands, wives struggle. Now let's think about the situation where a husband is going to make a decision. You know, maybe uh, he wants to buy certain property, he wants to invest money, he wants to make a career change, he wants to relocate the family, some major decision. Uh, It's not spiritually wrong. So it's not like you can't use chapter and verse saying, thou shalt not move thy house. No. (laughs) Uh, we're not talking about that kind of a decision. We're talking about a practical decision. It's, it's going to make. But the wife feels that that decision is a bad decision. Whatever the husband's going to make. The wife feels it's a bad decision. Not because it's chapter and verse, but from a practical standpoint. So what should the wife do? Of course, they're having discussions, but the husband is like, no, I'm going to do this. I feel it's the right thing to do. But the wife says, no, no, no. I, I, I don't think it's the right thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing. And the wife is afraid that if the husband goes ahead and makes a decision, it's going to impact the family. And if they have children, it'll impact the children. So what should the wife do in this situation? The Bible does say, submit. But the wife knows if I say okay and submit, uh, it could be quite uh, detrimental to the family, to the marriage, or to, to our home, because maybe a lot of money will be lost, or 
They may have to relocate to a place and they won't be happy there or, you know, whatever the decision is. What should the wife do? Here's what we would encourage. Two things. There's a spiritual side, what the wife can do, and there's a practical side, what the wife can do. The spiritual side is this. Submit. Submission expresses your honor not only to your husband, but also to God. You're saying, God, your word says I should submit. I don't necessarily agree with this decision, but I'm submitting because I honor you, God. Second, submit because it's an expression of trust. Saying, God, I'm trusting you because you're even superior or greater than what's about to happen. I'm obeying your word, which is yield to your husband, but I'm doing it with honor. Because of honor, I'm doing it because of trust. Are you with me? So that's a spiritual side. On the practical side, the wife can also do this. She can tell the husband, see, you know, I, I, I understand you want to make this decision. I'm not in agreement to it. But let's do one thing. Let's together go and talk to an expert on this. Who can give us advice. Right? Because there's a difference of opinion here. So let's say it's about buying a property. So the wife can say, let's go and talk to somebody who's really good uh, in, in buying property and real estate. Uh, somebody reliable, somebody you can depend on, who's unbiased. Let's go talk to him. Get, to, get an expert opinion on this. And it's quite possible that if what the husband was going to do is wrong, uh, the expert will point that out and then at least the husband will listen to him, even if he doesn't listen to his own wife. Are you all with me so far? So what are you doing? You're walking in honor to God's word. You're walking in submission to God. You're expressing honor. You're expressing trust. But you're also doing something practical in order to prevent any damage to your home and family. The second aspect of the relationship of the role of a husband and wife uh, are responsibilities at home and for the family. And there are several scripture passages that bring these out. I'm not going to read them. I'll mention these passages. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. Also Titus chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. And Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. These passages bring out the household responsibilities of a, a, a person who belongs to the church, to the Christian community. Now, specifically talking about those in leadership, those who are serving in church, but I would apply to all of us because all of us are part of this community of believers and will eventually grow into some position of leadership. Let me summarize uh, what these, these passages give as household responsibilities of the husband and wife. And I'm just going to run through it quickly. Uh, you can listen to me. For the husband, this is what the passages bring about. It says, you know, have only one wife. Be sober, self-control, orderly, be hospitable, don't be a drunkard or a violent man, be gentle, be peaceful, don't be a lover of money, manage your home well, your family well, uh, make sure your children obey you, take care of every member of your family, provide for your family, uh, don't be arrogant or quick-tempered, but be self-controlled and bring your children in obedience. So that's the household responsibilities of the husband. Are you with me? So it's the husband's responsibility to manage the family, take care of the family, 
to make sure children are nurtured properly, to make sure the family is provided for, to make sure that uh, he's not violent, he's not abusive, uh, he's not a drunkard, uh, to make sure that uh, uh, he takes care of even the relatives of his family. It's husband's responsibility. The Bible brings it out. Are you with me? And then the wife's responsibility from this passage is much shorter, you know. Just be of good character. Don't gossip. Be sober and honest in everything. Love your husband and children. Be self-controlled and pure. Be a good homemaker and submit to your husband. These are the things that bring this passage brings about. As far as the home, love your husband, take care of your children, take care of your family is the responsibility of the wife. Another aspect of marriage, or the role of the husband, the wife, is enjoying sex. This is part of being a husband and a wife. And this is an important part. Uh, later on, there's an entire chapter on sex and sexuality. We'll be talking about that in a few Sundays. Make sure you don't miss it. But the Bible brings this out, that part of a husband and a wife being together in marriage is for them to enjoy sex. And uh, just to let you know that I'm speaking from the Bible, uh, let's read first, you know, first Corinthians chapter seven, verses one to three. Others have pastors talking about sex in church, you know. It's in the Bible. First Corinthians seven, one through six. That's one of the pa- many passages. It says, now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me first, is it, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a husband, uh, uh, provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Verse 3, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy the wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not understand commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. So we will talk in detail about sex and sexuality on a later Sunday, but I just want to bring out uh, uh, four or uh, five points here from this passage concerning sex because it is an important part of your married life for husband and wife. What does this passage teach us? First of all, it teaches us to maintain a balanced and fulfilling sexual life. That's an important part of your life together as husband and wife. Maintain it. Keep it going. Two, our sex must be enjoyed with mutuality, seeking to satisfy the other person. Enjoy sex. And your goal is to satisfy your spouse, whether your, hus- your husband, your wife. You want them to be fulfilled in this area. And so husbands, wives engage in this with this motivation. Number three, sex is an opportunity to enable your spouse, your husband or wife to enjoy your body. And, and, and don't, use, don't withhold your body uh, as a way of revenge. Now I say, you didn't talk to me nicely. No sex today. Don't do that. Right? So that's not the way you're don't, so, so don't use your body as a weapon against your spouse. Instead, give your body to your spouse as a way 
for them to enjoy it because God designed it that when you enjoy his or her body, enjoy that. And number four, the husband and wife can agree that, okay, for a certain period of time, maybe, you know, for this, for this week or whatever, you're going to fasting, prayer, you're spending time, as, okay, we will abstain from sex. But that's a mutual thing. It's not uh, something you do because of fighting with each other. No, it's a mutual thing. You agree to abstain from sex. The fifth thing I also want to point out is this. That this passage says, be careful because Satan can use this area of sexuality to destroy your marriage. And if you're not careful, many husbands and wives, they, because they have arguments, they withdraw from each other. What happens? You're automatically giving the enemy an opportunity to enter in because you're withholding sex or that, that sexual experience from your spouse. And it's an open door for the enemy to come in. We'll talk more about this uh, at another Sunday. And in closing, uh, uh, Proverbs 31 talks about the virtuous woman and her husband. Uh, uh, Proverbs 31 brings about this beautiful uh, uh, description of a virtuous woman, who, a wife who takes care of the home, the family. She takes care of her husband and, uh, uh, and, and she works outside the family. She's in, involved in that as well. And it's a beautiful description and I would encourage our women to try to Follow that uh, uh, in terms of taking care of your home and your family. But what I also want to bring about is that not only does it talk about the Proverbs 31 wife, but in that same passage, it tells us what the Proverbs 31 husband is like. And I want to point those things out for us. The husband, what does he do? It says the husband puts his confidence in her. He, he, he puts his confidence in his wife. A husband is well known uh, 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 as one of the leading citizens, meaning the husband is also doing his part uh, outside the home. Uh, the children show appreciation for the wife. Uh, the husband praises her. He says, you know, many women have done virtuously, uh, but you've done, you're the best of them all. He gives credit for what she does and, and, shows res- and deserves, gives her the respect she, she deserves. So for my wife to be a Proverbs 31 wife, I will have to be a Proverbs 31 husband. Not too long ago, I got an email from a young man. He said, oh, I'm going to, uh, this girl, she's the Proverbs 31 woman for me. And I was like, oh, I feel feeling so sad for the girl, you know. Like, he set this high expectation for her, you know. And uh, what most young people, men don't realize is, if you want a Proverbs 31 wife, you've got to be a Proverbs 31 You've got to be that for her. Help her to become that. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.